0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. On today's show, Graham Crawford, history and heritage owner and Hamilton Citizen of the Year, joins me to discuss the growing concerns on social media about the pride conflict that occurred at Gage Park last week. Also, Wednesday, Hamilton City Council is going to decide what to do with the traffic problems on Aberdeen. There are conflicting views on City Council, to say the least. Tenth anniversary of the death of Michael Jackson is coming up. Has his image been tarnished forever because of what's been happening, especially with that HBO documentary. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly podcast starts now.
1: Today on the Bill Kelly show on 900 CHML.
0: To begin with today, uh, we mentioned Pride yesterday in Toronto, the celebrations such as they were in Hamilton with the weekend before that, and I say such as they were because they were marred obviously by an incident. Well, first of all it happened at City Hall that spilled out over to Gage Park where the festival was taking place in an ugly confrontation. Now, uh, Graham Crawford has been writing about this uh, on social media over the last little while. Many people, many of you have been posting uh, opinions and, and some concerns about what has happened. Uh, and one of the common themes here is the, uh, well, inaction, as some people are characterizing it, by Hamilton City Council. And, of course, some concerns about Hamilton Police and their reaction to what was going on. Uh, Graham joins us here. Graham, of course, is an active resident, history and heritage owner, and uh, Hamilton's uh, current Citizen of the Year, in standing. It's good to see you. Thanks for uh, coming in today.
2: Good to see you too, Bill. Thanks so much.
0: What uh, motivated you to write this? I, I mean, aside from the obvious incident itself, but for you to actually put pen to paper and say, look at, well, or go to social media and, and, and a, a rather
2: lengthy missive for you. Yeah, it was. It was a letter to, uh, about uh, council, but in specifically though about Mayor Fred Eisenberger, uh, who I know well I like him. We have lots of conversations. We have breakfast every you know, few months. Um, however, on this one, I think it's a big fail. I think that uh, – so as, as an engaged – I should just declare – as an engaged resident, but also as an out gay man who mm-hmm. has fought for gay rights uh, for 40 years, um, I hit the wall on this one in my own hometown of Hamilton – Uh, even though I lived in Toronto for many years. Um, I expect a great deal more from my mayor, from my councillors, when something like this happens, when people uh, who are trying to celebrate who they are are beaten by interlopers. Uh, I also am upset that the police stood back for a little longer than they should have, and Police Chief Gert said, well, if they'd invited us and made us feel more welcome, we might have been there sooner. Uh, he said it to you. Right there, in sitting, sitting in that
0: chair last week. Uh, last week. Uh, and his explanation uh, obviously caused it with itself its own uh, conflicts and consternation and an awful lot of feedback from people as well, uh, because they got the impression that he was saying, well, look, at you know," they kind of dissed us, so we were just sort of doing our jobs. Now, the mayor has defended the police position on this. The chief has, has defended his position and tried to clarify it. Uh, but it's out there right now. By the way, I should mention, uh, before we get too deeply into this, uh, we had also invited uh, Mayor Eisenberger onto the program today uh, to talk about this, but uh, he's tied up. There's a big announcement going on at McMaster that he's going to be part of that uh, we'll talk about later on in the news. But we will give him an opportunity and a platform uh, to talk about this I'd a little bit I'd love to hear what on. he has to say. Well, this is, you know it's going to come up at council. We've got a council meeting this coming Wednesday, and you've got to figure that somebody's going to bring this up.
2: Well, there's, there are only two councillors who've actually spoken out about this and actually taken the time to attend either Pride Day itself and or that community meeting that was held in council chambers uh, days later. And that's Ward 3 councillor Narendra and Ward 1 councillor Maureen Wilson. Silence, crickets from everyone else. The mayor has commented. But, you know, in times like this, all you have to do is watch some of that video. I don't know how you could watch that video as a counselor and not step in and say something to protect the people who who suffered at the hands of these thugs, of these literal neo-Nazis. And by the way, one of the guys in in the video, the guy who was swinging his, his helmet and smashing people in the face, it's on the video, did the same thing in the, on the weekend in Toronto, on video.
0: It's a... Uh- Disturbing. I was watching Global National last night at six thirty, and uh, they were showing highlights of the parade you know, yeah. from. Uh, and the, excuse me, the Prime Minister and the and Mayor Tory and everybody else,
2: and Council.
0: And they finished. Yeah, a number of councillors were there present as well, but they finished the segment with the uh, the video of what happened in Hamilton the week before. And I figured that's a black eye to the city. I know some people are saying, "Oh, come on,
2: nobody's paying attention." They are. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a gay, if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, uh, you're paying attention because this affects your life every single day. There are people writing on social media this weekend about now they're concerned about holding the hand of their partner on the street because they're afraid of being attacked, So of, of violence, of, of, of people yelling at them, saying nasty things. 2019, you know, we uh, many of us thought we had won that battle already, but we haven't. And i got to tell you, Bill, my experience with the police 40 years ago and what I'm seeing in Hamilton in the last couple of weeks is not that different. Maybe I should be a little more specific. It's not different enough. We have a chief of police who is defending what the police did, and they did hold back. And this notion that because they weren't given a booth at Pride Day, a recruitment booth—I mean, if you know anything about the history of the relationship between the LGBTQ+ plus community and the police, it's the last thing you should be asking for. We're not there yet.
0: And I, of course, I was not attendance there. We were to town last weekend, so we didn't. I, I saw the video, and I've seen the social media postings. A lot of stuff on Facebook, of course. Well, a week ago today, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we got back into town. Uh, so I'm going to just say what my eyes have told me, uh, you know, from the video that I've seen and and the, and the description of the confrontation. And you heard Chief Gertz's explanation on our program last week. Uh, and boy, there's a huge difference between the two stories, the way that's being told right now. Uh, you know, had we not been there, I can understand what the police are saying to a point of saying, "Well, we were just kind of hanging back and waiting for reinforcements." Because, but I asked the chief outright, as, as you may recall. If you anticipated there was going to be a problem, why were there not more people there available on on, on short notice? There was a confrontation there last year. Uh, Cameron Croach, who was, of course, involved in organizing that, I had ca- Cameron talked to us again on Friday, said that he had a long conversation with police just a couple of days before that the the, the, the parade and the rally and everything, and said we're going to be here this place in the park, and uh, we're concerned because we're you know we're concerned about public safety because there was an incident the year before and we're afraid it might happen again. Now, my understanding is that the police were actually quite a distance away from that, notwithstanding the fact that they were already told that this is where the the activity was going to be. They were shown
2: on a map, on an aerial photograph, exactly where the violence last year took place. And they were nowhere near that, based on what I've been told, and based on what the chief said himself. Uh, and they did. They held back. They waited. It took longer. And his excuse was, "Hey, it's an 85-acre park. You know, how would we know where it's going to break out?" Well, you, they were told. Well, they when one showing. of the organizers
0: say they were told. Now, I, yes. I, that's the first I'd heard of that when Cameron told me that on Friday. But well, I know uh,
2: Cameron. He's not. He doesn't make up stories.
0: Well, this is it. I mean, he he. You know, he wanted to. He, we asked him to actually. We could go today to go on the program, and he says, "I'm not ready for it yet. I want to talk to everyone else that was there and try to get a, a more wholesome picture," which he did. And then he came back on on Friday and talked to us about it. So uh, I don't, I'm not doubting what exactly anything that he's saying here. The, the concern we've got here is that we've got this huge chasm now between uh, public officials and, and the LGBTQ community right now. Uh, I'd like to think that there's a bridge we can build there or we can bring this together. I don't see, I don't see it happening anytime soon, and that's
2: concerning. Well, I've, certainly I believe it can happen, Bill. I know you do too. But, but, but not based on current behaviors. When you think that council, except for two of them, have been completely silent. They have not said a single word, neither individually nor collectively, about this kind of violence that is... Now, this video has been watched all over the province, for all I know, all over across the country. It's made the Toronto news, and some people might say, well, who cares? Well, they seem to care. Council seems to care about publicity all all the time. They've said nothing. They talk more about barbecues and Little League games than they do about people being smashed in the face by neo-Nazis using helmets to smash people in their in their face and break their noses and push them to the ground and kick them this is the time for our council to stand up in solidarity and make a statement and it is time for mayor Fred Eisenberger to lead council in that and not to put out these generic statements and by the way bill a little bit of research uh, 2018 March of 2018 council voted based on the la- on the violence that was happening in 2018 of March at City Hall and at Pride later on, to look into this and to work with community groups and the police to put a stop to this. And Fred Eisenberg at the time put out a generic statement about hate has no place in this city. Fifteen months later, he put out basically the same statement, and they did nothing about it. They stood back, they watched, and they said nothing. What has happened to, uh, to? well, I, I
0: was going to say the respect that I think is, is owed, uh, to, to Pride and to LGBTQ community. And and I, I talked to Cameron about this last week, Cameron Crouch. Uh, I can recall my days on council. Uh, actually, it was right after amalgamation. Bob Wade was the mayor. Yeah. And there had been, as you can recall, Graham, some huge controversies really? about even recognizing Pride Week uh, at City Hall previously. There was a human rights complaint. The city lost. And uh, that's that's before Mayor Wade was in charge. But anyway, it's there's, there's going to be a large parade. And... Uh, I got to tell you, Bob Wade got a lot of pushback when he said, I'm going to be in the parade. Uh, A lot of people from his community, some people on council, were a little skittish and said, are you sure? And and Bob's response, to his credit, was, I'm mayor of all the people. Good for him. And he he was there. He rode in the car in the parade. And as you recall, there was a longer parade then. It went all the way down to the waterfront. uh, And there were incidents then. There were some people with making some ugly remarks along the road, and then those people were actually vilified by the councilor the next day, saying, hey, we don't tolerate that. And they, they spoke out about this. There doesn't seem to be that sort of support these well, look, days. As you mentioned, uh, very few councillors showing up for events now. Uh, and I, I'm just wondering, is, is in your mind, have things deteriorated in the last 10, 15 years? Well, you know,
2: Bill, if you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. Are you kidding? Back in, you know, 1981, when I took to the streets in Toronto and was pelted with literally rocks by thugs and the police were there and the police actually pushed us to the ground and did not go after the guys throwing the rocks. Literally, this is a true story. Um, I would have said, oh, no, it's changed quite a bit, Bill. It's, it's, it's transformational in nature. But, you know, when you start when, – when in times when things start to change and violence comes up again and is public and is obvious and the police respond in a way that is way too similar to the way they did back in the 80s, I, I have to say I am, I am deeply disappointed and I am greatly worried. Uh, we are not making progress. And now it's been 10 days since this happened or nine days. And we're no further along in terms of better messaging. Uh, it's time for the mayor to step up and to say something about this. He was being lambasted by many people, and they're not all members of the LGBTQ plus community. M- many people I know who were just supported, their allies, saying it's time. Something has to be said. Something has to be done. And Chief Gert, you know, he he, he wants us to sit down and have coffee with cops, and then he responds this way. I said that was a PR stunt. Clearly, it's a PR stunt, that coffee with a cop nonsense. This is the time when you need to stand up and speak for the entire force, Chief, and stop blaming us for the problem. It was not uh, – we did not create this problem.
0: I'm, 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 no, I'm, want, I'm passionate I'm No, I wanted to give you this frustrated. platform because I, I, I understand. I've, I've known you for a long time. And I don't see you very often get riled about
2: anything. Frankly, oh, I'm a pretty you, calm guy. Yeah, uh, you're riled about this. I'm riled about it because I see people who I, you know, I'm 65 years old. I see people who are, you know, maybe in their late teens, getting smashed in the face by neo Nazis dressed in body armor and helmets, um, and, I, and I, it practically brings tears to my eyes. I'm thinking, how can this be? 40 years later that this is still happening, and we have our officials responding in the same way. Uh, It it has to change. And you know what? I don't like to use this word, and I don't even like it when it gets used, but I'm using it. Council and, and Mayor Eisenberger and the chief of police should be ashamed of themselves. This is utterly... Inappropriate on their part. This silence. This these generic statements uh, about you know not will not tolerate this. Well, generically the same statement. Fifteen months later, in the presence of new data, new video, new violence, new characters, and you make the same damn statement. Not good enough. It's a major fail, in my opinion.
0: We've watched in horror some of the things we've seen in the news in in, in the last little while. Charlottesville, uh, Ferguson, uh, Illinois, and and we looked at it and said, thank God we don't get that sort of thing happening here. Uh, not Well, we are. we are. It's a smaller scale. I'm not going to try to say it's an apples-to-apples comparison, but we are starting to see radical groups have their way with groups such as the LBGTQ community, and uh, I guess the question a lot of people in this community are asked, and I saw this uh, a common theme on social media, on, on Twitter and on Facebook is what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to sit here and wring our hands and say, isn't it terrible that's happening here? Or are we going to actually be proactive and do something about this? Well, you know
2: what I would also say to the Hamilton Police Service Board? It's time for you to take a stand as well. Uh, You're you're there to represent us, not to represent the police, as has been the case the last number of years with the past chair. But now you need to represent the residents of Hamilton. All residents of Hamilton. And we we are faced with violence like this. You need to, to investigate. You need to find out what happened so that it can be changed and doesn't happen again. But you know what, Bill? I'm not holding my breath on that one. Uh, I think what's going to happen is the cops are going to get another pass, like they always seem to, in the presence of, st- of video, of of eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses. Uh, the chief himself saying that, you know, if you treated us better, maybe we would have been there sooner. I'm paraphrasing, that's, that's your but only away. slightly.
0: That's your takeaway, though.
2: It is my takeaway, and it is the takeaway of many people, because, Bill, they listened to your show. He said it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you thank you for having him on and asking the tough questions like you do, but he actually said it, and the mayor said nothing in response. No other board person, Hamilton Police Services Board, they didn't say anything either. Uh, this is the you know, close the ranks. We're fine. You're the problem. Uh, we need Bill. We need to move on, and we need to to make some statements and to take some actions, and not hollow words like we've done last in 2018 with council. Graham Crawford, uh, stay active, okay, Hi. as you have been. I'm take my heart medication. We'll see, we'll see how
0: council responds to this. Thanks for coming in again. Yeah, Great having you. Having you.
1: Cool. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: One of the more contentious issues that's going to come at city council this week uh, is uh, what they're going to do on Aberdeen Street, Aberdeen Avenue, of course, in the west end of the city. Uh, Council Maureen Wilson says it should be uh, a safety issue. She wants to see traffic or t- actually parking a lot on both sides of the road, essentially cutting Aberdeen down to a, a two-lane road, one each way. Uh, there are those that are concerned about the implications that might have. One of those is uh, Councillor Terry Whitehead, who joins us here on the Bill Keller Show to uh, express his concern with that. Uh, Terry, thank you for the time. Appreciate you coming on today.
3: Great to be with you, Bill, and your listeners.
0: Well, we've had these concerns about this time, and every time we have to... Well, I mean, I I can think of all the terminology. A road diet, uh, traffic calming measures. Uh, Essentially, uh, what a lot of people are concerned about here is that when you do something like this, when any community tries to do something like this, it's, uh, I guess, simply put, Terry, more difficult to get from point A to point B. Uh, Councillor Wilson's uh, argument seems to be, well, look, at public safety should trump how fast it gets to work. Uh, where are you on this, and, and what do you see happening?
3: Well, uh, we all want safety, and there's nothing wrong with road uh, uh, calming. Um, but, you know, if, if you go to the doctor and you know, have gangrene in your toe, to remove your leg, it might be safer, but it's not practical. I mean, the reality is it's an overstep. So currently on Aberdeen, it's an emergency uh, detour route uh, designated, and uh, we had a report a year ago that said you can't do this. It's a bit mystifying that you would have a report that said you can't do that. And this is an extensive report, not you know, like this like a fifteen-page report. I got a two-page report that said we're going to put parking on uh, on Aberdeen, and the problem with that report is it's contradicting their experts from a year ago.
0: Aren't they the same and
3: experts? Same experts. Because I can recall, uh, there's only one one different uh, one different person on that on that report. So yeah, you got one report that don't do it. With LRT, you can look at 800 more cars. Uh, you got Queen Street, uh, Garth Street, Scenic, West Fifth, parking lots in the morning. I got people complaining during the campaign when I was knocking on doors please, please don't restrict Aberdeen. It's our relief. Now, I have been working with the lower uh, city councillors. I've moved a motion to two way. Uh, um queen street and that should be implemented in the, the year let's see how that goes first that might take some pressure off and then we can look at other alternatives but to do it now it doesn't make sense think about this bill you you go to any car that turns left or right will block that whole line of traffic that's trying to get to the 403
0: well, I, I mean, I travel the road on a pretty regular basis. I know you do as well. Uh, th- there's a couple of areas of concern here, and I, we we talked with uh, with Councilor Wilson and Councilor Ferguson about this last week. So we did get uh, the two uh, differing points of view on this issue. And and I, I I'm a big sub- subscriber to public safety. I get that. But what I'm hearing now and some of the feedback I got after I had that conversation with Council Ferguson and Council Wilson is that, look at, the, the, co- the traffic's pretty much already calm there anyway. He said there's so much traffic going on. This is one resident uh, who lives in the area. Uh, that uh, the cars are going at the speed limit or below it most of the time, anyway. They put the the lowering of speed limit is one element to this, but the the concern I see from the people that seem opposed to what Council Wilson is proposing here, Terry, it's the it's the it's the shrinking of of the traffic flow from one lane eastbound and westbound to what's currently there. That seems to be the major point of contention.
3: Well, well, well and, and that's the point I'm, I'm making. So right now uh, at peak hour uh queen street is uh uh, well like i said it's back right up uh sometimes all the way to mohawk Gar street scenic the neighbors can't get out of the driveway it's got over a kilometer and a half of queuing west fifth fennel so it's already uh impacting people on the mountain now uh to do anything to aggravate that let's get back to parking at peak hours so i am quite quite supportive of putting parking there uh off peak hours so at peak hours, uh, if there's uh, issues with children crossing the street to go to school, there's a thing called uh, we have a program. It's called uh, school uh, uh, school guards, right? Crossing guards. Yeah. We can place those guard, uh, 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 school guard, uh, crossing guards strategically in those locations during peak hours. That will address the safe safety of uh, crossing the street. Now, think about this. Uh, parking is not in the demand. Most people have driveways. That, so I, I don't know where the cars could come from, but the problem is you have one car. You're creating a, a conflict now because the lane looks open, <laughs> and bang, you've got a car in front of you. Uh, so I don't anticipate significant parking along that stretch. The other problem I have is on the right side, on, this, on the north side of Aberdeen, there's a boulevard. So there's already a spatial differential, so I can't even use a spatial argument. So, you know, when they talk about evidence-based as opposed to perception, I prefer to deal with evidence-based. As you said, when there's congestion, and I ask that question directly to staff, there is no speeding. So you can't use speeding as a reason to calm during peak hours because at peak hours, there's not speeding. And that's, that's already proven. That's evidence. So what is the evidence that's unsafe during peak hours?
0: The argument that I'm hearing from others, though Terry, and and, and you will mention specifically, and so was Council Ferguson in this, from uh, another individual who actually lives up in the Central Mountain and and uses the route. I won't use their name right now because they wanted to, to remain anonymous. But they were concerned and saying, "Look at uh, this is the way things are. This is the way cities should be built. Uh, they should be designed this way with traffic calming measures and safety measures." Uh, and and the, the prehistoric attitude that was his word that added some councilors have that it's just as fast as you can get from point A to point B is not the way the cities actually should be operating these days how do you respond to something like that
3: uh, so i would respond to the is obviously an anti-car individual the reality is there's people that just don't want cars period the reality is that the, uh, the, the economy is driven driven by vehicles whether it's service delivery uh, movement of goods uh, a movement of people and the reality is, is it's not about speeding it's about having appropriate guidelines and understanding the functions of roads local streets I don't care if they want to make a bizarre out of them on weekends or whatever, whenever they want to do it. But when you're dealing with arterial roads, you're dealing with a network. And the network supplies relief for congestion. The problem is, is if you start now con- creating uh, congestion on those relief, then you're creating paral- uh, paralysis. And that's not a good thing for commerce. It's not a good thing for moving people. It's not a good thing for quality of life.
0: Uh, my understanding is uh, you and Councillor Ferguson were the only ones that uh, voted against this motion. Uh, uh, are you lobbying? Are you trying to get support from fellow no, councillors? No, I
3: know i know, I, know I got support. You, I, you I, do? I'm not even worried about that.
0: You, so you think you're going to win the vote on on Wednesday?
3: I'm uh, probably about 95% sure.
0: We shall see. <clears throat> we'll uh, talk again about this, I'm sure, Terry. Thanks for this today.
3: Thank you. Uh, just to reiterate, if you want to make decisions, let's look at the evidence and use that evidence to uh, address the issue appropriately. It's not overreach, and I think that's what's happened here. They're not looking at the evidence.
0: Terry Whitehead, uh, we'll see what happens Wednesday at City Council meeting. Thanks again for this.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Dallin Cross, music journalist, internationally known broadcaster, and of course, host of the radio show and podcast, The Ongoing History of New Music. Uh, Alan, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for the time today.
4: Oh, you're welcome. This is uh, an interesting
0: topic. Well, it is fascinating because uh, there's, I don't think, any argument about the, the impact that Michael Jackson had on the music and pop culture industries over the years. Uh, and here, 10 years after his death, uh, especially with the uh, the HBO uh, documentary that came out, uh, there are those that think that, well, he has been reduced to to simply a, a child molester and that's what he should be remembered by. Uh, I don't get the sense that society is ready to do that yet.
4: Well, no, but at the same time, tomorrow is the tenth anniversary of his death, and how many, um, how how much news have you heard about commemorations of that? Usually, we would see something like a TV special or uh, some kind of, you know, public commemoration. I haven't heard of anything. That doesn't mean that they don't exist. It's just that uh, for a tenth anniversary of of the death of such a momentous musical talent, you would think that you would be hearing something about it, but we're not.
0: Well, especially if you use a comparator. I mean, uh, if we, at the anniversary of Elvis's death, of course, they all everybody goes to Graceland and there's a memorial service. So they, they, they can't congregate at Neverland anymore because it's not there anymore. Right.
4: So uh, I think, a bit, listen, there is, are a lot of people who still believe Michael Jackson is innocent, that he was framed, that he was taken advantage of, and that his reputation has been sullied by unscrupulous people. Then there were people who believe the victims, who believe that Michael Jackson was a serial predator that uh, you know, preyed on, on children. So what we have now is two competing narratives regarding this guy and the legacy of his music. There were the ones who are have always been on Michael Jackson's side will never believe any of the bad news, and they will continue to enjoy his music and buy his stuff and go see his productions from for, forevermore. Those who are uh, believe that Michael Jackson was, was a pedophile, they are not gonna do they're not gonna touch him with a Tampa Pole. So while I there is no way that we can, that we can say that Michael Jackson has been canceled or erased, it's kinda like his name has an asterisk next to it. Kinda like when Mark McGuire hit all those home runs back in 1998, when there was all the um, the, uh, the charges of, of, of juicing and steroids yeah. and so on. So it's, it's, it's a complicated situation, and I think it's going to take a number of years before it plays out.
0: But, you know, you juxtapose that with what's happened to other celebrities, and especially in the last four or five years with the, the Me Too movement, Alan, uh, and it's ruined careers. I mean, from Kevin Spacey, and there's a long list of people we could go down there that uh, were accused, uh, some convicted, some not convicted, but nonetheless... Uh, They are expunged, essentially, from the public consciousness. Uh, That hasn't happened with him.
4: Not with him, and not with a lot of people in the world of music. That's interesting that the Me Too movement, while it has reached into the music industry, hasn't had the same effect that it's had with movies and television. Uh, I find that that absolutely fascinating, probably because the whole music industry was based on fantasy. It is about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And not only is that kind of behavior encouraged, it's certainly tolerated, and certainly um, it, it's been the reason why a lot of people got into the business in the first place. So, for whatever reason, music industry hasn't been—I wouldn't say immune, but certainly has been—has not been uh, the proportional response against people again in the music industry has been lacking. Let's put it that way. And with with Michael Jackson, I, I don't know, you know, how much more proof people need in terms of what he. Was like as a human being, but his estate continues to generate millions and millions and millions of dollars. So it's in their interest to make sure that his relation, his his legacy and his his reputation remain as unsullied as possible.
0: Is that partly, Alan? Because we don't want to believe uh, what's actually going on in the industry. Uh, you mentioned about sex, drugs, or rock and roll. That uh, we we know we we. Put these people up on a pedestal. We don't want to think them of, of, of think of them as lesser human beings. I mean, one of the criticisms I heard, for instance, of a Bohemian Rhapsody last year, was they tried to sanitize uh, uh, the, the real story of Freddie Mercury, you know, and the, all the stuff that was going on in his life. Uh, and and maybe we're doing the same thing with Michael Jackson. We don't want to believe it because then you know that 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 negates what we already put him up there as as a, a superstar, as an iconic individual.
4: Yeah, one of the things about music is that we use it to describe how we feel, yeah. how to learn how we feel. So if we attach ourselves to a certain artist and believe that that artist can articulate feelings in ways that we can't, in ways that help us learn more about ourselves, and then we find out that that artist may have certain flaws, it's really tough to reconcile that with how the music made you feel and helped you you know what i'm saying yeah and uh michael jackson biggest artist the world has ever seen the biggest selling artist the world will ever see uh how do you reconcile somebody who was who made such great music who was so popular who in the background was really weird now we knew he was weird before all the child molestation stories broke i mean there was him and the chimp. It was him in the oxygen chamber. There was him and the elephant man's bones, and so on. We all had well,
0: and the plastic surgeries
4: and the plastic surgery. We all knew that the guy was 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 a little different. Um, and it, it, it I wonder if all of that kind of softened the blow for the horrible things that he was alleged to have done with children. It's just like yeah, well of course he did because he's weird, he's creepy. And again, there's that
0: asterisk that I talk about. He you know he was brilliant.
4: But then there's this other thing about him that has to be considered.
0: Not that there haven't been attempts to try to uh, erase him. I mean, we both know, I'm sure, a long list of radio stations that will not touch Michael Jackson's music.
4: Well, there's radio stations that won't touch his music. There are record stores that refuse to sell his albums. Uh, There have been cancellations of some um, musical productions related to Michael Jackson, but at the same time, His memorabilia is still extraordinarily collectible and is going for huge amounts of money. Um, There is a um, Cirque du Soleil show based on Michael Jackson music that's been running in Las Vegas two nights a week, six nights, seven days a week, uh, or two shows a night, seven days a week. There's a a show that's moving to Broadway in, in 2020, so there is still very much an appetite for the music, but again... It's the person behind the music, and maybe people have this ability to to, to to compartmentalize, to separate the music from the man.
0: I'm wondering what the future holds in that regard. We do, as, as a society, uh, tend to, not necessarily forgive, but forget uh, with the passage of time. Uh, do you foresee somewhere down the road, a, a Michael Jackson revival, uh, a Broadway play about him, uh, not like unlike what they did with Carol King and so many others, uh, where where he will again attain that status.
4: It's possible. Uh, you can bet that the uh, the estate is working towards that kind of goal somewhere down the line. Absolutely, uh, but whether or not people will you know, tire of he- of the debate of of the stories of the allegations is, is, is something else. I don't know. I mean, they're they're. <laughs> I, it, it's really hard to come back fully from allegations involving children.
0: Well, and therein lies the problem. I mean, even if there were an attempt at some point to try to do something to try to once again lionize his character, uh, you can't ignore that aspect of his life, and that's got to be dealt with. And I, I, that's that's, as you say, a very touchy subject. I don't know how they could address that.
4: No, I don't know either. Uh, unless they want
0: to, you know.
4: Use the fake news strategy, which is what they've been doing up until now.
0: Well, and there are those that that adhere to that theory, aren't there? they? That just say oh. this whole thing was a setup.
4: Yeah, there, there are. They're after the money. They're, they're. You know, why didn't they come? Uh, uh, why didn't they come out earlier? Uh, they, um, they, they, they confessed to something completely different. You know, it, it goes on and on and on.
0: It's it's amazing. I mean, because there's a story to be told here. I I mean, right from the beginnings in Gary, Indiana, all the way up to the uh, to the the uh, the uh, father of the abusive father, the pushy father. Uh, you know, we've heard that storyline before, and we can accept that, although we may not like it. But gee, that's how some of these guys actually made their bones and and became famous. But the the other things that have happened in his life, uh, uh, besides the accusations, of course, uh, and and the way that, as you say, an awful lot of the industry turned on him. I mean, he had a, an incredible relationship with the Disney people at one point. Uh, until that second trial, I guess. And and basically, they've just turned their back on him.
4: Yeah, it's been since the mid-2000s, since uh, w- when the first big trial in L.A. happened, when he was actually arrested. That was uh, the turning point for a lot of things. And since then, a lot of people have looked at him. And there, there were a couple of other you know TV interviews where he says, of course, I, I shared my bed with children, and uh, a couple of other ill-conceived comments that that really have had people turn their back on him as as a human being. Now, Should we separate the man from the music? Can we separate the man from the music? That's something that's going to be determined uh, going forward. We won't know for a number of years.
0: It's a fascinating story nonetheless, and I'm, I'm sure that there'll be some mention of it anyway. As you say, tomorrow being the 10th anniversary. Uh, certainly not to the magnitude that uh, a person of your stature might have ex- accepted in the past, but it's just that's not going to happen anytime soon.
4: Alan- I don't think so. Remember, this is a guy that used to have his videos premiered on primetime television. Yeah. This is a guy that used to, you know, people would sit in front of the TV for hours waiting for the thriller video to come up. This is a guy that had Motown specials dedicated to him. And tomorrow on the tenth anniversary of his death, have you heard anything of that nature being planned for broadcast?
0: No, nothing. I nothing but crickets. Nothing. Yeah, Alan, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. You bet. Take care, Alan Cross. Of course, uh, the uh, host of the ongoing history of the new music. Uh, still, by the way, it's on podcast now, and it's still on many radio stations around the country.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: McMaster uh, University has an announcement this morning with regards to their new research center. Uh, Jerry Wright. Uh, is the uh, director of the M.G. DeGroote uh, Business, or Institute rather, of Infectious Diseases at McMaster University and joins us on the program to uh, bring us up to speed on this. Uh, Mr. Wright thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. Let's talk a little bit about the announcement, first of all.
5: Yeah, so today we, we announced uh, uh, the, form, or the establishment of the David Braley Center for Antibiotic Discovery. Uh, this is the result of a, an incredibly generous gift by Mr. Braley, who... You know, is obviously uh, one of Hamilton's uh, most um, successful philanthropists and businessmen. So uh, we're really help, uh, excited about this opportunity.
0: Not the first time that uh, Mr. Braley has been involved in something like this. I mean, the, or the very building, of course, right across from City Hall uh, through the the, the largesse of, uh, of Mr. Braley. It's, it's remarkable, really, isn't it, Jerry, uh, the number of incredible ci- uh, citizens that we have here, right, philanthropists in this community, uh, that give back in such a big way.
5: It's um, It really is tremendous. It has such a, well, an amazing impact on our ability to do the kind of world-leading research uh, that we're trying to do here at McMaster and, and to attract some of the best people in the world and, and importantly, to, to uh, protect and to, and to ensure that, um, that the folks here who are doing really hard uh, science are, are being able to, to do so in a in an absolute world-class
0: environment. Well I mean the very fact that here we are talking with the new uh, Discovery Center from the David Braley Discovery Center and you're doing it at the DeGroote Business Hub. Mike DeGroote and, and David Braley are two of the main people, Charlie Jaravinsky and so many others that come to mind. I hesitate to start mentioning names because we're going to leave somebody out but it's it's remarkable. Uh, and very necessary. I mean, I, I guess it's not lost on anybody, I hope, these days, Jerry, that uh, uh, money is, is hard to come by for research and, and development, the sorts of things that uh, that you've done uh, at the university and uh, through the hospital. Uh, you know, governments are not flush with cash, and they're not handing checks out uh, as they used to do in the past, and you really do rely on this sort of thing for the kind of funding that's necessary.
5: Well, that's absolutely uh, true, Bill. And, and and in order for us, you know, our competitors in in this in this area uh, of medical research and antibiotics in particular, which is what the center is is focused on, are global, and and the impact is global. And so in order to sort of play with the big boys, if you will, we really have to have um, opportunities like Mr. Braley is giving us. I mean, um, it really is, uh, you know, we have at McMaster just a remarkable group of researchers trying to solve this, this problem in antibiotic resistance, trying to, develop new strategies to to uh, save people and uh, but that requires investment and it requires the ability to bring people in from a, dump, a number of different areas very cross-disciplinary uh, biologists and and clinicians and chemists and engineers and as you said it's really challenging to get uh, money that uh, that will help bring those kinds of teams together so mr. Braley uh, you know saw an opportunity here saw that we were really uh, leading the world in certain areas and has invested a, I don't know, a significant amount of his wealth in, in enabling us to do that for that, we're incredibly grateful.
0: So you're talking about the research itself, I think a lot of people when you say uh, antibiotics, they figure, oh yeah, that, that's a great discovery, but we got everything by the tail right now because we just get a shot of antibiotics and we're good to go. Uh, that's not the case for an awful lot of people. Sometimes uh, uh, they can have a terrible impact and sometimes they're not effective at all, so there's a, uh, clearly a lot of work yet to be done here.
5: Yeah, and that's exactly it. Eh? So, we're so we've are so we been so used over the last 40 to 50 years or so of just relying on antibiotics. And, and antibiotics are there not just to treat infections like pneumonia or, or um, blood diseases or, or uh, blood infections or, or things like that when, you know, catastrophic events that happen to us. They are also what enables, you know, uh, a surgeon to go in and, and then do heart surgery with with the confidence that if there's an infection that they'll be able to treat it or, or replace your hip or your knee um, So, antibiotics really underpin a lot of uh, modern medicine and so without them we're in, a, we're in a big jam and as you pointed out the the bacteria that uh... that are around us um, they have developed resistance they're continuously evolving resistance to uh, the drugs that we have and paradoxically the pharmaceutical industry has stepped way back in this field, and they're not um, bringing new drugs to market anymore. In fact, they're not at all interested in antibiotics because, for a number of reasons, some of which are scientific that we're hoping to solve here, but uh, some of the other ones, of course, is that is that they can't make enough money uh, on something that you take for a few days um, and then and then perhaps will never have to take for the rest of your life. So. So meeting those challenges and protecting modern medicine—that's what the David really Center for Antibiotic Discovery is all about.
0: This is going to be another opportunity, too, uh, once again for McMaster to attract the brightest and the best in this field, isn't
5: it? It certainly is, and and and, and as I pointed out, um, you know, and to retain some of our our absolute rock star uh, scientists and clinicians that are here, you know, because we can offer uh, infrastructure resources um, that no one else can. This is this is a, a global magnet for for folks who are, are working hard to help solve these problems.
0: It's fascinating, and, and this is a great example and an opportunity, I think, Jerry, to once again remind our listeners about the world-class research that's going on and discoveries that are going on uh, just down the street here on the west end of the city. I, I know you're recognized globally for this, but uh, we, we kind of need to beat our chest around here every now and then about some of the great work that goes on at McMaster.
5: Yeah, but you're... We're very Canadian, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, so we tend to uh, to be pretty quiet about these things, but it really is remarkable. I've been at McMaster for uh, about 26 years now, and and had opportunities to be, to go elsewhere, but this place is so unique and so remarkable, and we've gotten such amazing support from the folks who run the university, but also as we pointed out at the beginning of our conversation, these remarkable philanthropic uh, donations from from the community, Um, McMaster is a real gem, and and the whole community of Hamilton should really be proud of it.
0: Well, we are, and uh, it's a great day for McMaster, a great day for medicine uh, as well. Uh, Jerry, thank you so much for this, and and to David Braley, of course, obviously for his generosity. Uh, Jerry, we'll talk again soon, and I'm sure uh, the fruits of this uh, labor start to come through. We really appreciate the time today.
5: It's my pleasure, uh, and thanks
1: for your uh, your interest and support, Bill.
0: Bet you, betcha. Jerry Wright uh, from the uh, Michael DeGroot Institute of Infectious Diseases at McMaster.
1: The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML.
0: The Bill Kelly podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine till noon on nine hundred CHML.